Hey, we're, uh, we're in a series, believe it or not, and uh, actually today begins uh, the meat of it. And the theme for this year is God all in all, in his honor, in his book, in his people or his community, and in his story. And it's the story that I'm most interested in this morning because the rest of this year uh, I will be preaching from the Old Testament. But my discipline will be to, at every turn, with every passage, every text, to, to connect what I'm preaching from the old with the new. And uh, I don't expect people to remember all these messages, of course, but I do hope to make an impression on you that this story is fabulous and that it's well worth your time to read it and to know it. So uh, you hold me to this. I'm going to preach on the uh, creation account this morning. I'm going to ask Ron McCarley to come up. He's going to help me do something. And, uh, and I'll be connecting it with the new, but I'm going to do that each week. Then, Lord willing, next year I'll preach through the uh, New Testament, connecting every text there with what's in the old. Uh, we do have one story. Now, what's Ron doing up here? Ron, is, uh, he directs our jazz bands here. Uh, I asked him what his title was. He couldn't think of it, so I gave him the uh, Czar of Jazz <laughs> at Westmont. And we're going to try to do something this morning. I, I've never done this. Uh, you know, I, I, I need a little adrenaline just to keep me feeling alive at my age. And uh, so I'm, I'm a little nervous, a little scared, not about Ron, but me. Uh, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to recite the, the story of creation from Genesis 1 through Genesis 2, verse 4. And then I'll go on from there to John's prologue, the first five verses. And it just seemed to me that, um, well, you ought to hear something and maybe watch something being created while I'm reciting the story of creation. So uh, Ron's going to do a little jazz. He's going to, this is improv. And uh, good, good, I heard it all right now. And uh, so we're, we, you know, you, you don't really practice this much. We went through it a couple of times, but... But Ron's not absolutely sure what it's going to sound like. I'm not absolutely sure, but that's kind of the fun of it, especially of jazz. Jazz, if you understand it, uh, has to uh, take place within certain very strong, very definite understandings of music and the relationships of sounds to one another. And I think uh, it's a good picture of God's creativity. So you're going to hear the story, uh, both from the words, but also in music. Uh, I'm no doubt influenced by the uh, magician and his nephew, the uh, C.S. Lewis story, in which uh, Aslan the lion sings uh, the creation into existence. So, Ron, you ready? <laughs> ready enough. Let's pray. Father, give us grace to uh, honor you, and Lord, to know something of the delight of the universe you've created. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I always figure if the message bombs, at least you heard the word of God and some good music. <laughs> Metaphysics. The philosophic discipline that concerns itself with the problem of existence. Now, I know it's a terrible way to begin a sermon. The word metaphysics isn't catchy. It's hard to identify with. It sounds cold and abstract. And most of us 
lose no sleep pondering its questions, unless we have a final the next day in philosophy. But the mere fact, this is what I want you to think about, that anything exists at all is enough to set you thinking. The French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre said the basic philosophic question is that something is there rather than nothing is there. Of course, even our language kind of fails here, doesn't it? Because how can nothing be anywhere, here or there? But ponder that. Ponder the mystery that something is here, that there's a building here with people, with chairs, with light, with colors, instead of nothing. That a sun rose this morning over the eastern horizon, instead of nothing. That there are leaves, trees, the Sierra Nevada, the Pacific Ocean, the state of New Jersey, instead of nothing. See, this is the mystery that we're confronted with in the opening words of the Bible. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And these words speak very directly to the, the, the questions of existence. Not how it got here, but whom is involved in it and why. And there are two things I want you to think about this morning, about this marvelous text. The first is simply the universe, this thing that is, that exists, that is something, was created by grace. Point number one. Now, what is grace? We know what it is. We think. We call it undeserved favor, a gift, something that you don't ask for or if you do ask for it and get it, it's not because you deserved it. It's simply something that's given. Frederick Buechner on grace. Grace is something you can never get but only be given. And there's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Somebody loving you back is also grace. Loving people anywhere in any place is grace. Have you ever tried to love somebody? And what the Bible's saying here is that the fundamental truth of our existence, the base reality of life, of existence, is grace. That God did this because of grace. His disposition toward people in a universe that well, frankly, didn't deserve it, but if you want to get right back to first things, didn't ask for it. Now, maybe you're thinking, duh. I mean, who would ask God to make the universe before he made the universe? Who would petition the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to, uh, to make something we call the world in which we live or to create people and birds and animals and things like that? But that's just the point, isn't it? No one made him do it. We should reject those silly little stories that have God lonely and wishing he had somebody to talk to. That is utterly foreign to the God of the Bible. God is a happy God. God is splendid. 
God is full and he overflows. God needs nothing. But God, nevertheless, simply because he so found it to be pleasing to himself, made the universe. That's what I mean by grace. It's done freely in love. Think of this. The God that you heard about in John chapter 1, let me repeat those few verses to you again. In the beginning, the Word already existed. He was with God and He was God. He was in the beginning with God. He created everything there is. Nothing exists that He didn't make. Life itself was in Him and this life gives light to everyone. The light shines through the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. That Word, Jesus, through whom the world is made, is the same Jesus of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God made this whole thing, this whole splendid and wonderful universe because of his grace. And oh my, how extravagant is that grace. Did you pick it up in the story? And God said, the language here is so rich. Let the earth burst forth with all sorts of grass. Do you feel his delight in this? All sorts of grass. And every kind of seed-bearing plant. Let there be trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. And then it's, you know, it's not an afterthought. He's God after all, but still it's... Uh, and, you know, those seeds will then produce more plants and more fruit. I mean, you have to have a wooden imagination not to sense the, the pleasure and the delight he has. His gracious pleasure in extravagantly causing the waters to... Did you get the word? Swarm with fish. I have a friend who's an oceanographer. He's taken pictures of breathtakingly beautiful creatures in the depths of the ocean. Light has never reached them. No human eye has ever seen them. Their colors, their faces. <laughs> They're just there. They're just there. And they the waters swarm with them. That's grace. It's, it's undeserved favor. It is extravagant generosity. If the landscape reveals one certainty, writes Annie Dillard, it is that the extravagant gesture is the very stuff of creation. And she's right. That little throwaway line on the fourth day, he also made the stars. <laughs> Listen to this. That little phrase gives new meaning to the word understatement. In August of 1989, the unmanned spacecraft Voyager 2 hurtled over the polar ice cap of Neptune as it sailed 2.8 billion miles from Earth. Traveling in speeds in excess of 
60,000 miles per hour. It took 12 years to get there. And when it got there to send back pictures, the, uh, the scientists at JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, a bunch of golfers, <laughs> they looked at each other and said, hey man, that's like sinking a 2,260-mile 2, putt. And what it saw on the edge of our solar system, Neptune, it's a stormy world. It's a planet covered by a thick haze of helium and hydrogen with 1,500 mile-per-hour winds pushing great frozen clouds of methane across its surface. In its southern hemisphere, there is a continuous countercyclone as big as our Earth is wide. It's going on right now. 2.8 billion miles away. And as it continues to travel through space, this spacecraft, okay, and long after it stops sending messages back, it will likely, anyway, in the year, okay, get this, this is 2001, in the year 40,000, will go somewhere between, well, about 1.7 light years away from a star that astronomers have called Ross 248. In the year 236,000, it'll come within four light years of the star Sirius. <laughs> come on. I mean, what's that all up there for? I mean, why, why did God do that? I mean, uh, I mean birds, there's 9,000 species of birds. There's all these insects. There's all these fish. Why does God do it? I'll tell you why. You ready? It pleases him. Revelation 4.11 You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things, and by your pleasure they have their being. He didn't do it because he was lonely or bored. He did it because it pleased him. That's grace. It was his pleasure to show favor and to make this remarkable universe. The world is created by grace. And secondly, the universe is created and governed and sustained by grace. He's not the God of the deists. He didn't make something, wind it up, and walk away from it. It starts with Jesus, his word, and it will end with Jesus, his word. Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. There's that pleasure word again. Which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment. It's heading toward Jesus. And even in the worst of times, Even in the worst of times, God is pictured in the scriptures as sitting on his throne in heaven, ruling his creation. And multitudes, myriads of angels and elders and martyrs sing endlessly 
You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you created all things. And by your will they have their being. Holy, 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 listen to these, is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. He still rules it. He's still in charge. And he rules it with loving precision. Sparrows don't die without his permission. Hair doesn't fall out without his record. And then to add to all this, by the way, you know what I'm trying to do is just absolutely impossible. I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to open a, a little window here for you to be dazzled by the God who made all things and governs all things in love. Wow. And on the seventh day, he says, "I'll stop and take a nap." No. God rested on the seventh day, but it wasn't a nap. The Hebrew means he sat back and he savored it all. And then he said, I will make this day holy and I'll order the rest of you to do the same thing. If you're just too preoccupied, if you're just too busy, if you just can't make yourself slow down, I will make it, I'll make it one of my Ten Commandments. I'll say, stop, rest, savor, delight, take the pleasure that I take in what I made. You, know, you guys, sometimes I think we're like kids who have to be made to take a nap. We fight it tooth and nail, and the moment we lay down, we just crash. God says, I'm putting rest here, but the rest of celebration, that's the grace with which I govern my universe. Pretty cool, huh? So, what do we do with all that? Well, I got four things we're to do with it. I may not have time for all four, but I'll say things I most I think are important. Number one, the first thing you do with this is let it make you humble. Now think about all the big events in your life. I'll start with mine. The first big event in my life was December 22, 1942. Yes, my parents got pregnant after Pearl Harbor. And I was born, the biggest event of my life, and it was absolutely free. No admission, no decision on my part. And I was washed and wiped and cared for and nurtured for years before I even learned the word thank you. The best things in life are free. What I'm proposing is that if it helps, start with your own birth and realize how humbling it is to have been brought into the world freely. Later on, as I got into junior high, I remember suddenly noticing girls in a positive way. And, uh, and I wanted them to notice me, too. And this was perplexing, because I knew by then I could be a better athlete if I 
worked out. I could be a better student if I studied harder. If I wanted someone to love me, how could I do that? Couldn't. It had to be a gift again. Are you with me here? The best things in life are free. Let it make you humble. This marvelous creation, your birth, and anyone who loves you, anyone who truly loves you, loves you because of grace. Not because you've somehow engineered it. If you have, well, we're talking about something else. Humility. Secondly, and this is the thing I most want to say this morning, and if I get this out without weeping, I'll be successful. Trust. Trust. I've been depressed. Kind of a low-grade, at times high-grade, fever of depression ever since September 11th. And about the time I think I get over it, I'll read something new or I'll see something new. Are you with me? Desolation. And, and how do we begin to think about that? Well, I can tell you where. We go back to the beginning. Where God graciously spoke this universe into existence. And we look up into heaven at the one who was and who is and who is to come who sits on his throne and continues to rule this universe. I think that's what one of G.K. Chesterton's characters was trying to say in his wonderful novel, The Man Who Was Tuesday. Simon was saying, Shall I tell you the secret of the whole world? It is that we have only known the back of the world. We see everything from behind, and it looks brutal. That's not true. And that's not a tree, but the back of a tree. That's not a cloud, but the back of a cloud. Cannot you see that everything is stooping and hiding a face? If only we could get round in front. And if only we could just get a glimpse of the majesty and the grandeur of our God in heaven who made this whole thing, who was and is and is to come. We'd be set free to be what we must be in an indeterminate future in the face of a war that might last the rest of my days. I don't know. See, it's that kind of trust in the Creator who has pledged Himself to His creation that can set us free. Not, not to escape. There's nothing in the Bible about saying, well, God's in control, so I'm not going to sweat it. No. No. It sets us free to serve and to work and to pursue justice and peace because we're on the side of the God who's all about those things. And that's what we do with this. Well, I close with this little picture here. Let it be a parable. 
of your life today. The Amazon River is the biggest river in the world. Its volume is bigger than the Mississippi, the Nile, and the Yangtze combined. Its current can be detected 200 miles out into the Atlantic Ocean. Think of that. It's 90 miles wide at its mouth. It was possible, and it still is, to be in the very mouth of the Amazon and not see either shore, but think you're still out at sea. And in the early days of European explorations, ships would be caught in the doldrums and be stuck in the mouth of the Amazon. Their crews would be dying of thirst because they thought they were still in the ocean. And the fortunate ones would sometimes meet natives who rode out to their ships. And they'd ask them immediately, where's the water? We can drink. And the natives would laugh and go like this. And the word God speaks to us in this, this marvelous world that he's made is that I am, I was, and I'm still to come. And I have not abandoned my world. Trust me. And the word I speak to you is not so far away you can't get to it. It's right here. It's beneath you and over you and around you. You move and have your being in me. I'm no less God after September 11th than I was before. People who know that to be true, people who know that to be true are capable of extraordinary courage and sacrifice. because it makes it all make sense. Let's pray.